Hey, welcome to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, coming to you from inside Docs and Jocks Radio Studio. We just kept you on our show for the very first time, man. We're glad to have you. We are a, a sports medicine show talking about what's going on in the sports entertainment world from a sports medicine niche. Uh, I do my day job at Texas Sport and Spine, where I'm a sports medicine physician. I've been there for about the last 20 years, so great to have you. If you are just trying to find out about maybe a hip, a knee, a back, a shoulder injury that you've had, we'll probably talk about some of those injuries as they pertain to your favorite player or favorite team. And uh, there's a lot going on right now. we got uh, off-season NFL football. We also have the uh, NBA playoffs going on, NHL playoffs. We have baseball starting to hit its um, – early mid-season strides, a lot of stuff going on in the sports medicine world. I want to say thank you to my host and co-host and introduce Michael Potter. Ferris is uh, his nickname, and Ferris has been doing my show now. How long have we been doing this, Ferris? You and I together, about five years or so? Long time. Yeah, five or six years, something like that. Yeah, amazing. But he is the voice of Grand Canyon University, and uh, Ferris is uh, with us here. Thanks for being on the show today, Ferris. Absolutely, man. Yeah, and we'll be talking a little Kentucky Derby with a good friend of ours, talking about the uh, jockeys and how they train and how the horses train. The sports medicine niche of the Kentucky Derby world is just getting ready to kick off this weekend. That'll be a lot of fun with Darren Phillip coming on later on the show. Yeah, he knows all about it. He owns horse uh, race horses and has been to Kentucky Derby multiple times. So we'll get the inside scoop. Absolutely. And then we're going to have an interview coming up uh, as well with uh, Chicago Cubs scout Trey Forkaway. He's the regional supervisor. And uh, Trey will be coming on talking about his recent induction into the Big Country Hall of Fame as well as the uh, Chicago Cubs. And as hard as it hurts me to say this as a St. Louis Cardinals fan, their recent World <laughs> Series championship and how they're starting off and faring this year in the uh, National League Central. We'll be talking with Trey Forkaway about that. We also hopefully are going to be having on a uh, – Hall of Fame wide receiver. I won't mention his name yet because we're still working the details out on that, but hopefully going to have on a, a special guest coming on in the show. Uh, Steve and, Largent? Yeah. Well, Jerry the, Rice? You're going to guess all of them, Ferris? Is Michael it really going to be that kind of show today? It's going to be a long show here. <laughs> we're going to go old school. We're going Just old school, hint. absolutely. So, <laughs> but it'll be a fun show here on Docs and Jacks. Remember, if you want to follow us anytime, anywhere, anyway, you can do that. You can go to our iTunes podcast at Docs and Jocks. That's D-O-X-N-J-O-X. You can catch your sports medicine show anytime, anywhere. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We love having you be part of our show as on social media as well. And you can follow us at DocsandJocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. And there you can find out how to follow us on social media. I do want to say thank you to our wonderful sponsor, Sports Clips, as well as Buffalo Wild Wings. Could not do our show here without our crazy cool sponsor. So thank you to both of them for doing that. Hey, we'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show after this short commercial break you're listening to guy talk live from the sport clips haircuts locker room caller you're on the air uh, my girlfriend beat me playing one-on-one Ooh, sounds like you need to hit up a sport clips for an awesome haircut experience and some quality man time i don't know my girlfriend always takes me to her salon nonsense be your own man and get a great haircut in a guy friendly place from stylists who know what guys need you may be right sure i'm right now grab your y chromosome get down to sport clips and ask for the mvp sport clips it's good to be a guy no one burns calories like Firehouse Subs. Introducing our hearty and flavorful under 500 calorie menu. Steaming hot sriracha beef, hook and ladder light, turkey cranberry, and more. Six new subs, four new salads, overflowing with flavor under 500 calories. And starting at only $5.49. Under 500 calories never tasted so hearty and flavorful. Firehouse Subs. One bite, one taste, you're hooked. 
Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, coming from inside Docs and Jocks radio studio, where I'm overlooking a group of great young athletes uh, working out out here in front of us. Our show overlooks, our studio overlooks a sports training facility called D1 Abilene. Man, it's always fun to see people exercising, working out, getting better all the time. That's what it's about, Ferris, as we continue to try and improve. No matter what stage of life we're in, whether we're a young athlete, whether we're a college athlete, whether we're a professional athlete, or whether... We are a weekend warrior like Ferris and I are here on Docs and Jocks. So, hey, thanks for tuning in to your Sports Medicine Radio Show. I think, Ferris, we'll just jump right into some of the big-time news. Uh, and don't forget, we've got a couple of great interviews coming up after this segment, one with Trey Forkaway, the regional scout for the uh, Chicago Cubs, talking about their recent success and as well as his recent Your Chicago in, Cubs. <laughs> not mine, yeah. <laughs> Somebody else's, not mine. I'm a five-generation St. Louis Cardinals fan, so this is hard, hard, hard interview on me doing coming oh. up here. So, But we will talk about also my other favorite team in the American League is the Texas Rangers, and they unfortunately are in the sports oh. medicine news again. Remember, two years ago, Set a record for the most injuries to a starting rotation and a starting entire staff of baseball players two years ago. They set the record for that, and they are now trying to break that record, it seems like, this year. They are struggling. And remember, a lot of people tip-picked the Texas Rangers after a kind of a comeback year last year. They were they were in the running for a worst-to-first uh, place, and they this year were picked by many in the uh, American League West to win it. And they have now, unfortunately, started off with a 12-17 and 17 record. They got uh, pretty pretty beat up by the uh, Houston Astros, a young and upcoming team. But they've been without Adrian Beltre, their star kind of team catalyst, third baseman, due to a calf injury. And now this week it's announced that they find out that they will be without their ace left-hander Cole Hamels. The uh, southpaw Cole Hamels is now down. He has an oblique strain, so we want to talk about what that is. And um, Ferris, uh, they've also been without a closer who was put on the DL, but whether or not it was truly an injury or not, Sam Dyson, who just came back, but he was put on the DL due to being hit in the hand, his non-throwing hand, with a baseball. But he also, well, I always say he was put on the DL, the DL with this little caveat. His ERA was 14, and he had zero saves and multiple tries. So <laughs> I think he just needed a little R&R, you know what I mean? But it is going to be yeah. tough if the Cardinals, or I mean, if the Rangers don't have Cole Hamels, they don't have Adrian Beltre, and their closer has an ERA of 14 with no saves and is put on the DL. That is not a good recipe for a winning season this year on a team that a lot of us, I think you and I picked them potentially to be a at least a front runner for the American League West. I, I thought they were. Um, I like their pitching staff. The problem is the guys that are hurt are big guys. Yeah. But the, the other problem is the guys that are healthy aren't performing. Right. I mean, Matt Bush was, you know, we thought, oh, Dyson falters, they'll just put Bush in. Well, he struggled early on. Right. You know, pitching-wise, they're okay, but I don't think they have one batter hitting over 300 this year. I mean, Beltran, we thought, oh, he'll be back sooner than later. Well, he's not back. And, like, you know, nobody's really – I mean, uh, Mazzara, they're out there. You're thinking, oh, he's going to be good. He's, this will be his breakout, hitting 245. Odor's hitting below the Mendoza line. I, I mean, a guy that just signed a big multi-million dollar contract, including two uh, thoroughbred horses, by the way. The Kentucky Derby's coming up. But, but Odor, yeah. his contract, had horses. But, yeah, not after his uh, leadoff home run to start the season, it's kind of been all downhill from there. Well, and they're best player, but, you know, prof- these other young guys who just they don't seem like they're quite ready yet. You know, yeah. they're not quite performing yet. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So, yeah, they're not performing. And, uh, man, it's been tough without having some of these guys that are normally, you know, in the lineup and doing great things uh, like uh, Joey Gallo, man. Joey Gallo's had nine home runs, but the guy's striking out like three times as many times as he hits a home run. It's either a home run or strikeouts, all or nothing with them. So 
I don't know, Joey Gallo, uh, he's one of those guys that is incredibly athletic and big, but I mean, you hit nine home runs, but you strike out 27 times. It's a tough, tough uh, gig, and you keep swinging at the high, high cheese. But, yeah, they got all these guys that are supposed to be doing well and hopefully going to be coming around, like Joey Gallo, like Mazzaro, like Odor, who has had a good last-year breakout season. But, yeah, they're in trouble without Beltre, Cole Hamels, and no closer. Well, and you look at it, they're similar to the Blue Jays, a team you thought was going to compete and you thought was going to be a team going for the championship, and they're going to have a decision in a couple months if they're still this far out of it. Okay, do we trade a Cole Hamels to somebody contending? Do we move you know, a Beltre if he's healthy because he's only got a couple years left? And do we rebuild? And you don't want to pull the plug yet, but the guys we're talking about who they think are going to be good might not be good for another couple of years, you know? So yeah. There's going to be a lot of teams we thought were going to be in the mix in September and October that might be sellers in July, which would be a shock. Oh, definitely, yeah. If you see, uh, I think if the Rangers falter, I think the guys you'll see on the block, I think you Darvish could be a guy that the Rangers would try and move wow. potentially. I think, uh, you know, Beltre's definitely older, and he's a guy you would think about trying to move potentially. So there are some guys that if it uh, doesn't turn around pretty quick, I think the Rangers would become a seller, absolutely. So, Anyway, that's those are the guys I'm thinking about. Yeah, and injury-wise, you know, I mean, Cole Hamels, you mentioned him. He was a big one in fantasy because he was a pitcher. He wasn't in that top tier, but he was in that middle tier because he's been so effective. We see a lot of pitching injuries. It, you know, fortunately, it hasn't been as many Tommy Johns as we saw a couple years ago. But it's been things from blisters to obliques to knees, all these different types of injuries. And sometimes these, at least with the Tommy John, you know, okay, you're out 12 to 18 months, you know. These obliques, they say three weeks, and the next yeah. thing you know, the guy's out four weeks, five weeks, six weeks. It, it seems like it's hard to diagnose a timetable for some of these non-Tommy John injuries. Right, yeah. It is tough because uh, an oblique, and let's try to describe what an oblique muscle is, and then we can talk about how you recover from those injuries. So whenever we see an athlete who is in a sport that does a lot of rotational movements, in other words, throwing a baseball, you spin and then you unwind. Uh, swinging a baseball bat, you spin and unwind. Those types of sports require a, a lot of rotation that is a muscle called your oblique plays a big part in your basically a box with four little pendulums hanging off of it. We call that box your core. And on the sides of your core are your obliques that allow you to spin the box, rotate the box would probably be a better way to say it. And so when a pitcher has an oblique injury, it can be possibly, you know, three months before you can fully come back because if you try and come back too soon, you just redo it, you re-aggravate it, you make a grade one, a grade two, you know, make it a more severe injury, in other words. And so these guys are out for quite a while. They have to be completely pain-free before they return and really act, ask uh, the athlete to do what they can do maximally, which is, you know, throw a baseball 90 miles an hour, hit a home run, you know, 400 feet, those types of things. That's why it is so uh, individualized on how long it takes to come back from these injuries. Are we seeing an increase in those types of injuries? Because obviously, you know, we're created. There's a muscle that helps us do that rotation. So we're obviously created to be able to rotate. But is it just the amount of repetitive torque and the and how much power these guys are using now that maybe makes it more injury prone than just a guy like me or you? More than likely, we're not going to have an oblique injury if we're just going through daily life. Yeah, and it's how many times they do it over and over again. So these guys, you're right, they're bigger, they're faster, they're stronger. Remember, the more weight you're moving, the, the harder you're asking it to move, 
the uh, more likely you are to have these injuries. Cole Hamels isn't a big guy, but he throws the ball really hard for the size he is. And so and they do it over and over and over again. And Cole Hamels isn't a spring chicken anymore either. So you see these types right. of injuries that seem like they last longer in guys who are maybe in their mid-30s. You see a calf injury like Adrian Beltre now. You know, see this injury lingering of where it seems like if it was a guy down in his early 20s, you might see it, but it's not going to take as long. Speaking of Adrian Beltre, the, uh, the uh, Texas Rangers athletic training staff has now sent him, since they're on a 10-day uh, road trip, they've sent him to work with the Dallas Mavericks and a professional uh, field and, or track and field athletic trainer because they see these types of injuries more often. And they can do, they have more functional type activities they do, and they're used to seeing calves, whereas, you know, baseball athletic trainers are more used to seeing elbows, shoulders, things like that. So they've sent him off to the Dallas Mavericks and track and field athletic trainers. I thought that was pretty humble on the uh, – Rangers part to send them off to another athletic trainer that says maybe they have a little more expertise than we do. We're going on a road trip. Go check it out. These guys. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's smart to, to, to do that. I and mean, there's a lot of smart folks uh, rehabbing athletes in, in every big city. You know, Dr. Dan, we had you on our, our fantasy show and, and we asked this question about the Mets, but you got to kind of bring it up about the Rangers, too. And I think we talked about this a couple of years ago when they had that rash of injuries. How much of this is just bad luck, or how much of this do you look at that the way the Rangers go about their business from top to bottom and go, there's got to be some common denominator here because we are just getting guys injured in, in, in bunches, or is it just bad luck? You know, I always say that it's a little bit of both. I know there's been times, and we haven't changed our college. I, the, one of the universities I work for is Hardin-Simmons University, and uh, we've had the same sports medicine team pretty much my entire career other than we've had the head athletic trainer has changed a couple of times but there are some years where we have a rash of injuries acl injuries there are other years where we are like the perfect sports medicine staff in regards to there are hardly any injuries it's the same staff we've done the same thing the same training the same strength conditioning coaches but just sometimes you're a little bit unlucky and then there are times when maybe you are overzealous, like uh, we're talking about Matt Harvey on, by the way, Fantasy Baseball Wrap. If you want to get an update on your baseball and know where you're at with your Fantasy League baseball teams and who's injured, who's playing, who's hot, who's not, Fantasy Baseball Wrap, and you can go to that uh, their website. It's a great show of Ferris and our good friend Darren Phillips put on. But, you know, some years you just have these types of injuries where you start looking at, well, maybe are we overzealous with our strength and conditioning program trying to get guys to pitch when they're sore. Like Matt Harvey said, he had a hard time trying to pitch because he was sore from his weight training program a few days before. <laughs> Those are yeah, things, remember, yeah. when you weight train, you always have to plan in a recovery phase. Weight training with no recovery phase or not enough of a recovery phase just makes you more prone to injury. You haven't had time to increase the muscle. The way you break down muscle and make it bigger is you do exercises that tear muscle fibers slightly, you know, microscopically, and then as your body heals it, there's an inflammatory response, your body heals it. It heals with a bigger diameter fiber. And over time, that those larger diameter fibers allow you to move more mass because you're able to put more torque through it. So you have to have the recovery phase is just as important as the breakdown phase. The strength training part is the breakdown. The recovery phase is the buildup. And that's why you need things like protein, that, that type of stuff, to allow your body all those good things to heal uh, during the recovery phase. But... Yeah, it's uh, we we usually when you have years we have multiple injuries, you do start doing a little internal audit, whether from your athletic training staff to your team physicians to your strength conditioning coach, to what are your coaches doing during practice? Are we having too many risks for concussions? Those types of things. Yeah, you'll do an internal audit for sure. 
I think one thing you brought up too is that Beltray's no spring chicken. We're seeing a yeah. lot of these injuries happen. Hamels isn't really either. A lot of miles on that. Right. One of the exciting things about baseball to me is there are a lot of exciting young players coming up. So I think we're really over the next. It started a couple years ago. I think it started kind of a five-year transition where we're not going to see the guys. The stars aren't going to be guys who've been in the league 15 years. They're going to be guys who've been in the league three years, yeah, four years. You're right. And that's kind of cool because it's about that time to to cycle those guys out and bring the new blood in. You're right. You're right. Hey, when we come back here on Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show, we'll be talking to head and scout for the Chicago Cubs, Trey Forkerway, when we come back with your sports medicine radio show, Docs and Jocks. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, coming from inside Docs and Jocks radio studio. If you're just catching our show for the very first time, I want to say thank you for being on a part of our show. Man, always great to have you as part of our listening audience. I do want to say thank you to Joe Walker State Farm as well as Medical Diagnostic Imaging. Could not bring you your sports medicine radio show without our wonderful sponsors. Uh, we are joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter. Ferris is the voice of Grand Canyon University. Ferris, we are all, always honored to have on some very, very special guests. Today is uh, no exception. We are very honored to have on Trey Forkerway. Trey is currently the regional supervising scout for the Chicago Cubs, covers a 14-state area, all the Midwest and West for the Chicago Cubs. He has been with the organization for 21 years. He has uh, been a big part of bringing some big-time big, big, uh, big leaguers to the uh, Chicago Cubs as part of their recent World Series uh, championship run. Trey, I want to say thank you for being on Docs and Jocks. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. And even more importantly, Trey was just recently inducted into the Big Country Hall of Fame. If you're listening to our show outside of the Big Country area, the Big Country area is uh, Central West Texas, includes Abilene, Texas, all the way up to Lubbock, Texas, down to uh, San Angelo, and so all kind of west of the Dallas area. And Trey grew up in Abilene, Texas, part of what's considered West Texas. And he was recently inducted into the Big Country Hall of Fame there. Trey was a three-sport uh, letterman in football, basketball, baseball. Has about 800 letters from uh, high school, I believe it was, Trey, what they said in your induction. And also an all-Southwest Conference infielder for Texas Tech. And then he went and played uh, for the Chicago Cubs organization professionally. Then he went on and coached for the Chicago Cubs. And then he became the regional uh, director of scouting. So, uh, first of all, Trey, let me be the first one to congratulate you on a wonderful induction, a long-overdue induction into the Big Country Hall of Fame. Well, thanks a lot. You know, uh, I remember when this process started, and I owe a lot to you and Scotty Sanchez for at least getting my name out because Absolutely. I had no idea about the Big Country Hall of Fame. And, you know, before you knew it, all this came about. And it's a great honor, you know, a great group of people to be included in. And, you know, for all I knew, I was just a high school kid that wanted to play as many sports and get a scholarship, and it turned into this. You know, one of the really, really neat things I think that happened in that, it was watching you uh, when you were giving your induction speech. Your dad was in the front row there. I think it's always very, very special when uh, not only you're honored, but when you're honored like you are and being inducted into a Hall of Fame, all that group of uh, friends and family, and especially your dad sitting in the front row there, he has a wonderful reputation here in the big country area. But tell us what it's like uh, not only representing yourself, but also representing your dad and your family. You know, most of my speech was dedicated to my mom and dad because they were both coaches and teachers in the Abilene area, and they touched a bunch of lives. And a lot of people don't know my dad was a really good athlete. They played three sports, and a lot of his old friends would come to the house and really talk about how great of an athlete he was. And he, my brother, and I would go back and forth about who was the best between the three of us. And, you know, typically he'd kind of laugh it off and and 
and and say you guys just don't know how good I was. But a great man, you know, he touched a bunch of lives. And he's been really important to me, and I felt like I needed to thank him and give him some honor for all that he did for me. Well, you did a wonderful job, Ferris. Hey, Trey, how, how did that growing up that way and with that type of input in, into your life, how did that affect you and, and, and push you to, to what you became? And how do you how do you still use that and what you're doing now, looking for different players that you think might fit in the Chicago Cubs organization? Is that something you look for, their upbringing and who some of their mentors and parents and things were? You know, a lot of the players that we track, you know, lineage and history and family is what we live by. And it makes it a little bit easier to side with a player when you know he's been around the game and lived in the game and ha- and learned a lot more than some of the guys that may have not had that opportunity. So it, it plays a big part in what we do, and and I think it gives us a better opportunity to to side with a guy when you know his background's been like that. And for me, right. it helped me tremendously because I knew I was going to play a sport, and then I had someone there that could tell me about it too. I love mm-hmm. one of the things you talked about in your induction ceremony into the Big Country Hall of Fame, and we're talking to Trey Forkaway. Uh, and, Trey, you were talking about in summers you would play a month of football, and then you would go and you and your friends would play a month of basketball, and then you and your friends would go play a month of baseball. I just feel like that well-rounded athlete, oftentimes we're kind of losing that now as we get into this uh, one-sport-only mentality of I have to keep up to be able to do that, I have to play only one sport. But I thought that was a really neat part of your speech, how you and your friends played multiple sports. And tell our listening audience, as a scout now, when you look for a, for a baseball player, do you also look for an athlete? You know, the ingredients of a player requires a lot of different things. And, you know, football brings toughness, basketball's agility, and baseball's mental skills as well as uh, tools and instincts to play. And, you know, each sport has something that it can contribute to making you a better player. And for us, I've always been kind of biased. If a guy played multiple sports, I liked him more because I felt like it gave him some ingredients to, to what baseball really requires. And, and, you know, nowadays kids tend to get specific on one, one sport, but you, you know what? That will make them better in that particular sport. But uh, in, in the grand scheme of things, if a kid has tools and talent, we're going to like them regardless yeah. of what they do. I just keep my personal biases to myself. And, and if the player's got talent, we're going to always try to scout them yeah. and draft them. Right. Fierce. Trey, you know, everybody we talk to um, about that, we ask coaches, we ask players, we ask scouts, everybody, we say, do you like a kid who played multiple sports or just focused? They always, hands down, say they like multiple sports, yet every kid seems like they're forced at some point. Somebody tells them, hey, you should focus on just this sport. At a young age. Well, why is that? Why is that disconnect? They always get pressure. Hey, stop playing football, play baseball, or vice versa. Well, you know, the biggest thing that I think they worry about is that, is that they may get hurt. And there's some guys that mm-hmm. may get, you know, $4 million plus in, in baseball. And because of that, an agent or an advisor can come in and sway them away from that particular sport because of the consequences of getting injured. But in the grand scheme of things, I, I can't remember the stat that uh, I saw or read and it was talking about players that played in the World Series. And we were talking about how many of them, or it might have been the, it wasn't the World Series, it was actually the, uh, the Super Bowl. And how many of those mm-hmm. kids played multiple sports? You would be surprised at how many played more than one sport. And those are football players that we're talking about. I just think that 
because of the money and the the instruction that you can get in one particular sport where kids pay for lessons and get an opportunity to get better at a faster pace, a lot of kids are deciding to invest their time in one sport. And for me, I don't think it's the best thing to do, but a lot of kids are doing it. You know, speaking of one sport, let's talk about one team. You've been with the Chicago Cubs 21 years. That probably seems like it's hard to believe, probably blinked. But, uh, you know, you've been as a player. Then you've been a, a hitting instructor, a coach. You're now a, a scout, a scouting director. Kind of walk us through the different phases of your Chicago Cubs career, all the different things you've done, and uh, give us some of the highlights. I think the first highlight was just getting a chance to play. I was kind of on my last leg, and Jim Hendry called me, who I owe a lot to, and gave me an opportunity to play. Later on, when the writing was on the wall, being an older guy in A with kind of a slight chance of making a triple-A team, they made me a player coach, uh, which you know made me happy because that means they liked me enough to think that I had a career outside of just playing baseball. Then it turned into me being a full-time coach. And then after that, it was like, I want to be at home more for my kids and, and be able to see them grow up a little bit. And then before you know it, I was a scout. And the way that process came about, I thought when I was a scout, I'd be at home more. And it was totally the opposite of that. But that's the nature of the job. You know, for the information we're trying to gather on players and the number of looks that they want us to get, you're going to spend a lot of time away from home being a scout. Yeah, and you have a 14-state area that you cover. Man, that, that's amazing. You're, you're going all over uh, most of the United States trying to find these kids. Pretty cool. Ferris? Hey, Trey, whenever I go to a ball game, I, you know, working at GCU, I see a lot of them are on the road. You see all these scouts come in, and they all know each other. They all work the same areas, but they also work for different teams. It seems like they're all buddies, and they get along, but there's also – they're also competitors in a way, right, or, or, or not so much? Are they all just trying to get the best scouting report to their organization and they just don't worry about whether they get a kid or, or the other organization does? You know, scouting's super competitive. I mean, you know, it's almost good if you go to a game and there are a lot of sky, scouts there because then at least tells you you're at the right game. But also <laughs> the uniqueness of yeah, this job is that. that when you're at a game by yourself, you get, you have a chance to make a decision on whether you like a player or not. But I think – with the way we gather information, another scout may know something about a player that you may not know. And if he shares that information, it just gives you a better, like, idea of who this player is. And so even though we exchange information and maybe talk about players and what they may be doing uh, on and off the field, realistically the evaluation of the player and where they may go in the draft and, and how much you like them versus how much they like them, it's still going to be totally different, and that's what makes scouting and, and going against other teams and competing uh, really fun in the long run. Yeah, the way it's done now, I, I, I kind of miss those old days. You'd hear those old stories where some guy back in the backwoods of Missouri saw Mickey Mantle, and he kind of stashed him and tried to keep everybody. You can't stash anybody now. If they're good, everybody's on him for the most part, right? But no, not at all, because I could go to a game tonight – and a guy could hit a home run, and I could look at Twitter, and, and that home run <laughs> and how far it went is on Twitter like 30 minutes after the oh, kid hit that's it. Funny. So uh, that's just the way this game is, uh, has evolved. I mean, a lot of inform access to information is really fast now. So if a kid goes out and hits two homers and they're both 500 feet in the backwoods of Louisiana, more than likely 
if you stay on Twitter long enough, you'll know about it. And before you know <laughs> it, we'll be at that game. And that's just how players get discovered now. It's not word of mouth like it used to be. It's more Twitter and Facebook and all the other avenues where people are putting information where public people can read it uh, from a public standpoint. And we see where the Chicago Cubs are uh, getting ready to set – to play the Yankees, the Bronx Bombers are coming to Wrigley Field, and uh, that means Raldis Chapman and Adam Warren, a couple of the, the members of the team last year, will be receiving their hardware. Speaking of receiving hardware, tell us about that World Series ring that you now uh, have in your possession. Uh, I was really disappointed that I didn't have it for the uh, Hall of Fame deal because <laughs> yeah. it, it, it it has so much sparkle, it would have maybe taken over the room. But <laughs> super, super proud to, to have it and be a part of it. Uh, you know, the organization went above and beyond, giving out 1,908, which is a significant number, uh, pieces of jewelry uh, throughout the whole entire organization. So everyone pretty much got a ring, and I don't wear it very much because it just causes too much distraction, but I can tell you I'm really proud to have it, and then hopefully at some point in time I'll, I'll be able to show you guys what it looks like. Well, two uh, hometown kids uh, from Abilene, Texas, you and John Lackey are both in possession of that ring. Have you had a chance to catch up with your uh, former Abilinian? Not yet, but, you know, June draft, uh, those guys will be in town, and I'll go catch him in the hot tub or doing his work prior to a game or maybe after a game. And, you know, we hadn't had a chance to really sit down for a long time, but I look forward to catching up with him because he was a young kid when I was kind of in my prime of playing and – He's had a long, uh, great career in, uh, in Major League Baseball, and he's got some rings to show it, too. Yeah. And so I'm really proud of him. And I, I, and I always tell him when I see him Absolutely. as well. Trey, you know, Dr. Dan's a huge Cardinal fan, so I'd be remiss if I didn't announce, you know, the Cardinals have 11 of those, you know, and you guys have three. But, I mean, the way your team's built, can you, can you catch them in, like, the next eight years? You guys are like... You guys are like just stacked, and your and your and your farm system is still really good, even with all these young guys up playing. That's because of Trey Forkaway. There's farm system stacked, isn't it? Trey? There you go. Well, I hope so. But <laughs> uh, you know what that that Cardinal Cub rivalry? I've, I've lived it for a long time, and and the Cardinals have been ahead of us for a long time, and they always play us tough. The series never is easy, and I don't think there'll ever be a year where we can ever discredit what they've done. Their history is there. There was a level of intimidation, I think, uh, for us because they had always beaten us so much. Now I think kind of the tide has turned a little bit, but I don't think we ever walk into St. Louis thinking we're going to sweep a series or beat those guys because they deserve the respect that their history has just pretty much proven. The one thing I wish if I was a commissioner, I wouldn't change You know, the DH. I wouldn't change a lot of things. What I would outlaw is it, it should be illegal. If you came up as a Cub, you can't be a Cub. Dexter Fowler can't go to the cards, and Jason Hayward can't go to the Cub. Johnny Damon can't hey, play in good strength. I think that should be disallowed. I don't like it. Hey, you know what? I, I, hate, I hate seeing Dexter with the Cardinals because he was so much for us. And, yeah. and you know what? I know why they did it. I mean, the Cardinals and Cubs have been trading players back and forth lately. You know, we took Hayward and, we, and yeah. outbid the Cardinals for Hayward. Now Fowler goes to those guys, and, you know, when we play those series, uh, it, we miss that guy because he made our team go, and now we have to watch him do it for not only the Cardinals but a team that we have to, you know, 
we have to step our game up against them every time we play them. Well, Trey, this is going to hurt a little bit, but my favorite player growing up, my hero, the guy that I idolized, Lou Brock, the St. Louis Cardinals yeah. Hall of Famer, started off as a Cub, just letting you know. So, yeah, <laughs> traded Ernie hey. Broglio for him, yeah. <laughs> You guys are stealing guys from us back then. Y'all already beat them. <laughs> and Harry Carey started as a Cardinal broadcaster. That's right. right? They or stole White Harry Carey went. Yeah. That's so. right. That's right. Well, hey, we've been I talking. That, to, go ahead, Trey. No, that in-division stuff, man, it happens more than you think. Oh, that's absolutely. For sure. <laughs> hey, we've been I, talking I'm to Trey Forkaway, Big Country Hall of Famer, uh, currently the regional uh, director of scouting for Chicago Cubs. Uh, Trey, if anyone is going to take the Chicago Cubs, to another World Series and help him do so. Man, I'm glad it's a guy from Abilene, Trey Forkway. Thanks so much for uh, being on Docs and Jocks. And once again, congratulations on the Big Country Hall of Fame uh, induction. Good talking to you guys. Thanks All a right. lot. Hey, thanks, Trey. Appreciate it. We'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks after this short commercial break. Welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sports Spine. Man, if you're just catching our sports medicine show, Docs and Jocks, for the very first time, remember you can go to iTunes and listen to our podcast, Docs and Jocks, D O X N. J-O-X, anytime, anywhere at your convenience. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, uh, you name it. Man, we will be on uh, docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. Have all our information there. You can also contact us there by email at docsandjocks.com, and you can uh, let us know if you have any questions or uh, anything you want to bring up on air. We'd love to have you be part of our show that way as well. Joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter. Ferris is the longtime voice of Grand Canyon University out in sunny Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, Ferris, that was uh, I really enjoyed that interview with Trey Forkaway. He's been a big part of the Chicago Cubs, uh, really the resurrection, I would call it. They had won a World Series in, what, 108 years or something like that. They win it last year. You really build a club, an organization, from the lower levels up, from the farm system up. I think, uh, you know, guys like uh, uh, who was the St. Louis Cardinals that built, uh, the guy that built up the St. Uh, Louis Cardinals farm system. Then he went to the Dodgers and brought in Jackie, Jackie Robinson. Why am I blanking? Oh, Branch Rickey. Branch Rickey, yeah. Branch Rickey was the yep. first guy, the pioneer of that, of, of really building a club and an organization and a dynasty through building up the farm system. And now you see you know, clubs like Chicago Cubs with Trey Forkaway where Joe Madden and Theo Epstein have said, hey, we're going to build this from inside and occasionally go out and get an enrolled as Chapman, but really build it up. And, uh, man, it's, it's really cool knowing that he is part of Abilene and grew up here and went on to a great uh, baseball career. It's fun to see him in the Big Country Hall of Fame. That was a really a, a, an inspirational talk he gave at his Big Country Hall of Fame acceptance speech. Really, he talked a lot about his dad, talked a lot about his coaches, talked a lot about growing up in a small town, playing Little League Baseball, how it in, how encouraged him to be a better person all the time. He said his dad one time uh, saw him belly aching and complaining and said, hey, we're not going to do that. In, in here, if you're going to do that, we're not even going to play baseball. So you learn those types of values, I think, in a small town, playing Little League, playing sports. It teaches you more about life than anything else. Yeah, it, it's interesting. A lot of folks don't know, but guys who love baseball do. You know, the minor league system, how important it is, how many, how hard it is to get up through the minor yeah. league system, how even a, a stud, they put you in the minors because you got yeah. it's a different thing playing professional baseball than even college ball. I mean, the amount of games, the grind, the lifestyle, the job aspect of it. But, you know, there's all these scouts, guys like Trey, that he's got 14 states, and he's at a ball game every weekend, some Tuesday nights. There's certain kids he wants to look at. And, you know, they all come in. You know, you can use on a Friday night. There's about 20 of them there in the stadium. Then on a Saturday, there might be about 14. And on a <laughs> Sunday, there might be three or four, you know, because your Friday night guy throws on in. But 
they all come in, they all sit up, they all talk, they joke around, and then they 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 pack up and they move on to the next game, you know. Yeah. And uh, even guys in the front office. I mean, our our good buddy uh, Brendan Domorowski was with the Diamondbacks. Now he's with uh, the Mariners. You know, he's a front office guy. He manages those guys. You know, he was flying up to watch a second baseman at St. Mary's play, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he yeah. was going to hit up to Washington, watch a catcher up in Washington. And that's just their lifestyle. They're on the road all the time. Yeah, there's that great movie. I think it's Clint Eastwood is an old-time scout. And Trouble did, with the Curve. Yeah, that's a great movie, too. It kind of shows that lifestyle. And those guys have just traveled all around. And he, they've actually learned to listen for the sound of a pitch because they've watched so many games, the sound of a guy hitting it. But I've been around the game long enough now. I'm about 50 years old. I can almost – understand what they're talking about i can hear a guy when he hits a different baseball that the sound of an elite hitter is just different than a sound of a non-elite hitter same thing when a guy throws a ball you can hear the ball as opposed to yeah you know just uh, seeing it go fast so yeah i know what they're talking about and you know wh- what i found is it's a little bit harder with the aluminum and, and the uh yeah. the the new bats um, course. but but a wood bat yeah the bb course a wood bat like i was oh, yeah i was walking across campus i'd been at a basketball practice uh, for gcu and i'm walking and i have to walk to the garage and there's baseball they weren't doing anything but i, I hear this hitting and so I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder who's hitting. And as I'm walking, I realize it's Coach Dinkowitz throwing to some of our ex-players that are, you know, getting ready for minor league spring training. And I hear, you know, whack, 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 whack. And I hear, boom, boom, boom. Just, just, it's a different sound. And I walk around the corner, and the, the guys he was pitching to, our guys, are all about 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, you know, they're middle infield guys. And they were squaring it up and hitting it well. But then the, the guy that was doing it was a big, tall, six-foot-three-inch lefty that <laughs> yeah. had played in Power 5 school, uh-huh. and now he's back. You know, he's in Arizona, and it was a totally different sound, like yeah. a 100% different sound yeah. than what everybody else was doing. Yeah, it and is. And you're like, oh, that guy's got some power. <laughs> oh, yeah, def- definitely a different sound when the elite ones hit it, no doubt about it. Hey, speaking of an elite hitter, Bryce Harper, Washington Nationals uh, all-star outfielder. Uh-huh. <laughs> Do you have him on your fantasy league club this year, or is he not on your team? Yeah, I picked him first overall two years ago, and he's my keeper this year. He's doing great. Yeah. He's killing yeah. it. But now he's he is nut- now on the DL, and he just had an amazing catch. He's doing a, what Bryce Harper does. He dove for a ball in the outfield, made an amazing catch in the process. He uh, tears his groin, injures his groin, and he is now on the DL. So, man, you're lucky to have him, uh, Ferris, because Bryce Harper's in through 28 games in top five in all three triple crown categories, including a 376 average, nine home runs, and 27 RBIs. He is now on the bench for a short while with the groin, hopefully for you, uh, given he's on your fantasy team. But you never know. A groin injury is one of those injuries. It can be a few days. It can be a week. It can turn into one of those six weeks, four to six week type injuries. It is a injury to the inside of your thigh, the muscle that runs up the inside of your thigh called your adductor group. And the reason it's called that is your adductors or the muscles on the inside of your thigh pull your leg in towards the midline. We call that motion adduction. So we call the muscles that do that your adductors, and there's several of them. But you strain that muscle typically up towards where it attaches. Uh, where it originates, I'm sorry, up in the upper groin area, and uh, you'll have pain anytime you try and bring your leg in. So it makes it very difficult to do a side-to-side motion. Uh, a shuffle would be very difficult with a uh, groin injury. So uh, right now, Bryce Harper's day-to-day, but that changes the Nationals' outlook. If Bryce Harper goes down for an extended period of time, man, I'm telling you, the Nationals love Bryce Harper when he's in this mode. And he seems like he's back to his rare form that he was two years ago, not last year, but the year before when he won the MVP. Yeah, and they, they also lost Adam Eaton, uh, you know, out for the year, their leadoff guy. Right, um, who was playing really so well. So that hurts him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think, I think now we're seeing, and there are some great young players, I mentioned this before, that are kind of slacking off a bit. But I've almost kind of put now, you know, Mike Trout, 
Bryce Harper and Chris Bryant if Hell he keeps yeah. doing it. You you mentioned Harper's numbers. Trout's 358, 21 runs, eight homers, 20 RBI, five steals. Yeah. And Bryant is 321, 21 runs, five homers, 15 RBI, and four steals. These guys are going to produce in every – Goldie's almost with them. But he doesn't quite hit with as much power, but he could because he's a lot more patient hitter. Paul, Paul Goldschmidt, um, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, the, there's some – man, there's some really good young ball players that are – I mean, they hearken you back to, like, the Mickey Mantle type of numbers, the, the, the Maze numbers, the Ken Griffey Jr. type of numbers, you know? If we can go back to the archives, uh, Hawk, our producer here, a crack producer, we could find where I predicted that in the next five to ten years, because of select baseball, travel baseball, select baseball, we were going to start seeing some an amazing talent level. Guys like Chris Bryant, Bryce Harper, Mike Trout. These guys got special training early on. They were honed in their skills on traveling all over the place. They come to the big leagues already pretty pretty polished they can go to the minors for a couple years but they come to the big leagues almost already ready to go and they can put up some amazing numbers i travel all over the country with my son doing these usa baseball deals perfect game area codes you name it we've done it and i've seen some amazing amazing talent and there are guys that can hit and we're going to continue seeing more of these guys like the mike trouts like the bryce harpers like the chris bryant's like the paul goldsmith you're talking about yeah, and I, and I short-shifted Goldie. I mean, he's hitting 311, 22 runs, five homers, 21 RBI, eight steals. They're all about the same right yeah. in that category. They're doing it in all five categories, and they're all, you know, 23, 24, 25, 26. They, I mean, realistically, if they take care of themselves, they could do it for another 10 years. Oh, you know, least, They could yeah, put up those 15. types of numbers for a decade. Yeah. Trout, I personally think Trout's going to go down as the greatest baseball player of all time. I, that's just my prediction. Um, I think he might be... I know people are going to go, oh, you never saw Mantle play. And I didn't. You never saw Dimaggio. You never saw Mays. I just think if that guy puts – if that guy has a decade of doing this, he's already got, what, five, six years in? Yeah. I mean, that that guy's amazing. Ken Griffey, I think, would have been that guy, but injuries hampered his career at the end. So you never know. Yeah. Injuries could hamper it. Mickey Mantle's career was hampered by injuries. Andy Koufax, you know, right. wanted to quit early because of injuries and stuff. Yeah, that's what I was going to say when you said uh, he could be the best ever, and you're exactly right, but the big what if is injuries. I think Albert Pujols, if you take his first 10 years and you double that yeah. up in the next 10 years after that, he would be the greatest player ever. The problem was at 10-year mark, he started getting injuries to his feet. He had plantar fasciitis, had multiple injuries. He's really slowed down because of the injury factor. The question is, is Mike Trout going to be able to stay healthy enough? And can he do this for two decades or a decade and a half? If so, you're exactly right. I think he has a really good chance. The thing about Mike Trout, he's just built so so perfect. His size, his weight, uh, he just when you stand next to him, he has broad shoulders. He's just a big, strong guy. He looks like he could play middle linebacker for the Nebraska Cornhuskers is what he looks like. I mean, he's that type of player. And you don't often see that big of a player be that athletic and that fast, and he's stealing that many bags in a year or two while hitting that many home runs. It's a rare combination. And, it's, it's like LeBron. And he and Harper, are, yeah, they're almost the LeBron James of it. Uh, Bryant to some extent, but Bryant went to college, you know, at San Diego. But uh, he's already got uh, Trout. Seven years in the bigs. This is his seventh season. He's only 25 years old. I know, exactly. I mean, in a decade, <laughs> yeah. he'll be 35, which yeah. guys can still play 35. And he'll have 17 years in, five more. He'll have 22 years in. And the guy's averaging um, on a on a, on a single game, 162-game average, 34 homers and 100 RBI a year. Give him yeah. 17 more of those? Yeah, that's Hank Aaron-ish. Hank, it, Hank Aaron always it, was but... 20 to 40 home runs every year, and he did it for 20 years. That's that's the Hank Aaron model of getting as many home runs as he did. But, yeah, Trout is well on his way to being very, very consistent. And you haven't seen him have as many injuries. Bryce Harper, because of the way he plays, I don't say Mike Trout takes it easy, but Bryce Harper, just because he's all out, 
you know, all the time. He's diving on everything. But he seems like he's just more prone to injury and he has been at this point in his career, just like the groin injury we saw recently. But Trout seems like he doesn't have as high of a propensity to have that many injuries like Harper has for whatever reason. I don't know what it is. Yeah, and it's part of it might – I think you're right. Part of it might be that way that they play. Hard, Trout definitely doesn't take it out. I think the other part of it is kind of how they're built and how they go about it, you know. Yeah. And some guys – we talk about it. Some guys are just lucky, man. They play all out, and they never get hurt. You know, and other guys, they, you know, they pick up a basketball and strain their strain their bicep. You know I mean? It's, <laughs> yeah. just, it's like it's the Derrick Rose versus LeBron James saga. You know what I mean? Derrick Rose, Derrick Rose always injured. Cut. Yep, boom. Goes there down. goes the knee, yeah. you know? Yeah, been been crazy. Hey, uh, speaking of uh, a little bit more baseball, I thought Texas Tech University, we mentioned this briefly a couple weeks ago. They lost their Friday night starter, which if you don't know about college baseball, usually you have a mid-game, midweek game. But anyway, Friday night is usually when you throw your stud. And then uh, Saturday and, and if Sunday games, they usually uh, throw number two or three. But their Friday night starter, uh, uh, Davis Martin, went down with an ulnar collateral ligament, the inside, the ligament on the inside of the elbow, the one that you have Tommy John surgery. He has a, a partial strain of that, and so or sprain of that, and he mm-hmm. is now rehabbing it, and so he's been out. But Texas Tech has not slowed down at all. It doesn't even seem like they've hit a glitch. I mean, you know, you have a lot of good arms when you can lose your Friday night starter, and it's just like you just a speed bump in the road. You go out and you beat uh, TCU. They just went out and thumped them on national TV the other night, beat them by like 15 runs, and man, it's really been interesting to see how they've really responded to losing their ace pitcher. But you don't see many teams be able to lose an ace pitcher in college and stay at the level that Texas Tech has. I think they're ranked number six in the country right now. But baseball, college baseball is in a good place for Texas Tech. Yeah, normally your Friday night guy goes down, you're in trouble. But, you know, we played Texas Tech, and I hate giving him this much Talk love about because Canyon. our producer, yeah. yeah, our producer, Brandon Hall. But I think he graduated. Did he graduate or did they kick him out? I think he graduated. No, I th- yeah, um, yeah, I think you're right. I have two degrees from there. Oh, he has two degrees from there. Wow. I I only have a half a degree from Grand Canyon. But um, when we went out there and played him, I think we swept him. Yeah, we swept him in two games in midweek. But their Tuesday guy was the guy who was drafted in the 14th round by the Dodgers, and he was sick, this lefty. I forget his name. Hawk probably knows his name. We ended up getting to him later because he was a freshman, and he didn't quite understand you can't just keep throwing fastballs, you know. Yeah. But he was amazing. And he would have been our ace. So that's kind of the difference. At Texas Tech, they do a great job. Tadlock does a great job of just recruiting arms for this very case. But you're right. There might be 10 or 11 teams in the country that could lose their Friday night guy and still be like, oh, we're okay. We'll just add somebody else in. Yeah, and it's been amazing to see how they bounce back. But that was an amazing series. After losing him, they go down, they play a TCU, and they basically uh, sweep them and and beat them in a demonstrable fashion. Texas has kind of taken over. In individual, I mean, you got you got Texas Tech is, is going crazy. TCU, Dallas Baptist is awesome. Who else am I missing? I mean, Texas is trying to rebound Texas and rebuild, but Texas they've been a powerhouse. Baylor's always good. Uh, Rice Baylor's is always good. pretty yeah. good. University of Rice, Houston, yeah. University, A&M, Texas A and M, of course, yeah. Shane Shoemaker. I forgot uh, about those guys. My teammate, college teammate, his son is uh, the shortstop, having a great year. The Shane Shoemaker kid, the shortstop at Texas A and M, yeah, just. Really, a lot of good baseball. Uh, University of Texas, what is it, Corpus Christi we had on, uh, Hawk? They're actually doing pretty well. That was uh, Malone's, Coach Malone. We had him on not too long ago. So, yeah, a lot of schools in the Texas area doing good. I think Grand Canyon University uh, usually plays uh, University of Houston. Are they playing them again this year? Uh, no, they, they move them around. They haven't been playing them every year. But, yeah, played Houston last year, played Tech a couple years ago. Um, they try to get out there and play, played Abilene Christian, you know, three three years ago or so. Um, but yeah, I mean, you've got, I'm just looking at the D one baseball rankings and like of the top 25, I think five or six teams are out of Texas, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. And they they recruit heavy out of Texas too, so a lot of Texas kids. Well, you those can't, teams. yeah. Yep. So been pretty amazing to watch Texas Tech and what they're doing out there with that program with uh, Tim Tadlock. Remember, we've always called him the great recruiter. He's the guy that recruited uh, John Lackey to Grayson uh, College back at junior college. Then I pretty believe, good. believe he goes as to a o- first baseman, right? Yeah, <laughs> as a first baseman. <laughs> yeah. Says, hey, you can throw pretty hard. Why don't you try throwing a baseball? Why don't you, why don't you try That's get- what they're going to do down in Rice with our boy Mac. At some point, they're going to realize, wait a minute. Absolutely. Let's put this kid on the mound. I know, crazy. <laughs> and then uh, he went to Oklahoma and kind of has a resurrection of the Oklahoma program as well. And then he goes to Texas Tech, but always been known as a master recruiter. I always tell the story. We had Tim Tadlock here on uh, Docs and Jocks, and we were interviewing him. And he would say, uh, just a minute. And he would go in and do an interview on his uh, phone that was in his ear. We'd hear him doing the uh, talking to a recruit on the phone, and then he would uh, come back and finish the interview. So always, even oh. du- even during docs and jocks, he was doing recruiting. So pretty cool. That's why. Why he's good. Absolutely. Hey, I do want to say thank you to all our sponsors here on Docs and Jocks, including Lawrence Hall Chevrolet, First Financial Bank, and Sylvan Lear- Learning Center, who brought you this segment of Docs and Jocks. We'll be right back with more of your sports medicine radio show after this short commercial break. Have mercy on Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, coming to you from inside Docs and Jocks radio studio where we're looking D1 sports training facility. Hey, if you ever want to find out more about D1 Abilene and what it can bring to you and improve your life, uh, you can go to d1abilene.com, and uh, there you find out what the sports training facility that our show overlooks, what it does, and how it uh, operates. And I tell you what, we've got a great head strength and conditioning coach, David Hess. We call him the legend. He's been doing a strength and conditioning for about the past 30 years. Uh, has trained almost every NFL athlete that ever came out of Abilene, Texas, uh, trained them. And, uh, man, they all come back to a person and give Coach Hess a big hug and say, uh, thank you, you're the reason I made it. He's been an incredible uh, thing to watch. Daniel Manning was the last one that I saw come and uh, hug Coach Hess's neck and say, hey, thanks, man. I had a great career in the NFL because of you. So if you want to come find out about D1 Abilene and how you can do some adult sports training and boot camps and weight training, then it's all personalized for you. You have a personal coach and uh, uh, instructor at every visit, so you can do what you can do. If you're worried about being out of shape, I mean, come join the club, man. Everybody starts somewhere. Your first biggest hurdle to getting back into the shape you want to be in in your life is getting yourself off the couch and back in and doing something and start taking yourself, baby stepping it back into saying, I'm going to be the best I can be at wherever I'm at. And, uh, man, just get off the couch, come out, take a step with us and start working out this. Nobody cares here how you how you do. Nobody's looking at uh, where you finish, if you finished all your reps, if you can't finish your run. Man, it's all about everybody trying to do the best they can do. So come try uh, D1 Abilene. Come try it out. Come check it out at D1Abilene.com. Hey, want to say thank you to all our wonderful sponsors on Docs and Jocks. West Texas Neurosurgeons, Dr. Trammell, Dr. Brown, Dr. Edelman. Could not do our show here without our wonderful sponsors, and they are wonderful sponsors. If you ever want to find out how to be a sponsor, go to DocsandJocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. You can contact us there, and uh, we'll tell you how you can help be a sponsor and get the word out about your business here on your sports medicine radio show joined each week by my co-host ferris potter ferris is the voice of grand canyon university hey ferris give us a quick update on uh, what's going on at grand canyon university right now with their baseball program we just came off a segment we were talking about texas tech university tell us a little bit about grand canyon university and how their program doing this year i know you're off to a stellar start yeah i mean overall record 21 and 20 um played a lot of power five teams and didn't play very well in the non-conference so a lot of folks were a little worried about what was going to happen once we got into conference play but man the lopes have responded 16 and 2 in conference play that's the third best conference record in the nation coming off a three-game sweep of the only team that was even close to them went down to las cruces sorry scotty and swept (laughs) new mexico state university who is 
by far the second best team in the league. And now we're three and a half games up. If uh, we just kind of take care of business, our last, what is it, six games? Last six? Yeah, our last six conference games should win uh, Andy Stankiewicz's second regular season conference title in four years. Now, we can't play in the postseason, but that's uh, pretty nice. Coach Stankiewicz will have had in six years, every other year, we're the reverse of the uh, San Francisco Giants. Giants. Every yeah. odd number year. He went to a D2 College <laughs> World Series in 13 won a WAC championship in 15, and on pace to win a WAC championship in 17 in just six years. Wow, that's amazing. And uh, Coach Andy Stankiewicz was a former uh, Texas Ranger, I mean, sorry, Houston Astro, former uh, New York Yankees, doing a great job in that program. The reason they can't go on, and Ferris mentioned they can't go on to the playoffs is they're in that transitionary period of going fully Division One, and that this is their last year being transitioned in. Next year they'll be fully Division One and be eligible for the College World Series. Might see them uh, competing against teams that we just talked about, Texas Tech, TCU, Dallas Baptist, a lot of great power programs here in Texas. You could see University or Grand Canyon University competing for that as well. Hey, Ferris, let's change gears a little bit and talk a little NBA playoffs. Let's talk about what's going on with the uh, San Antonio Spurs and the Houston Rockets. It's been billed as a huge, huge playoff uh, games here in the state of Texas, obviously, because you have an interstate rivals, uh, San Antonio Spurs, playing the Houston Rockets. They're now tied 1-1 as our show is uh, being uh, uh, aired here. As we, The big, big news right now is that Tony Parker, the San Antonio Spurs all-star point guard, has ruptured his quadriceps tendon on the uh, left leg. Your quadriceps is a group of four muscles that come together, and uh, then they, uh, and where they come together, right above your knee, they become a tendon, and then becomes your patellar tendon, which goes down, and attaches to your lower bone called your tibia. But he ruptures the quadriceps tendon right above his knee. It's uh, such a severe uh, rupture that he is now going to undergo surgery to have that surgically repaired, which means they have lost him for the season. He's probably going to be out four to six months of playing, uh, doing basketball-type activities, uh, and then he'll be turned back to full activity probably. Here's my question for you, Ferris. Tony Parker's 34 years old. You know, we saw this amazing era of San Antonio Spurs basketball where Popovich had Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili, uh, Tony Parker, uh, Kawhi Leonard kind of came in on the end of that. Are you seeing the end of this uh, San Antonio Spur dynasty? I mean, Tony Parker won five NBA championships. I forgot that he'd won five. He's been part of five NBA championships. Could this be, you think, the last we see of Tony Parker? Big-time injury going down a 34-year-old. I would imagine he'll come back just because those guys hate to go out on those types of terms. But I think definitely it's the last you're going to see of him at that high level. It seems like he's been playing for like 40 years. It does. I mean, it, he's it, only 34. It's amazing. Kind of me. Yeah. yeah. So I would imagine he'll come back. You know, we saw, we saw Steve Nash out here in Phoenix keep trying to come back, trying to come back, trying to come back. And, you know, they just lose a step. They can't quite do it. So I would imagine he'll rehab and try to come back because, you know, those guys, they're so yeah. competitive. They hate going out like that. But, yeah, we're definitely seeing – I mean – Pop to his credit, and I hate giving him credit because out here in Phoenix, we can't stand the San Antonio Spurs, but <laughs> yeah. to his credit, he's been adding, you know, he's, he realized, hey, I'm going to lose these old guys, so I've been adding these young guys yeah. and letting them play with the old guys and keeping them relevant, so I don't think they'll become irrelevant, but yeah, I, yeah, I think I think we're not going to see Tony Parker. If he comes back, it'll be a very different Tony Parker. That's a serious injury. That's a long rehab at that age. That's yeah. Oh, yeah, no question about it. I mean, your quadriceps is on the other side of your hamstring. A hamstring injury is on the back of your upper leg. Your quadriceps injury is on the front. But, yeah, no, that's a big-time injury. He was just going up for a shot, just doing one of his regular drives. He's going in for that teardrop, you know, layup, you know, and he's going to go drop it over somebody. And sure enough, there he goes, boom, goes down on the floor, and he's clutching his leg. It's probably those types of injuries are more, as opposed to just 
one it, one moment, one activity causing it to tear completely. What really happens is, imagine you're uh, taking uh, two, uh, I always use this analogy, where you're taking a rope beside the bumpers of two trucks that are facing in opposite directions. As you start pulling, initially you get fraying, and then over time, as it continues to pull, eventually it ruptures or tears apart, and that's what a rupture is. So probably all the little microscopic injuries he had at the you know, microscopic level that never really caused him any problem, that's probably what he's done multiple times doing those ten things. And then at 34 years of age, eventually you reach a critical mass where you get enough injury that eventually you go in and try and take one shot, and bam, it tears all the way. So that's more than likely what happened to Tony Parker. But he's going to now have uh, Patty Mills coming in and taking over for him at point guard. It's really now going to be Kawhi Leonard and uh, LaMarcus Aldridge's team if you look at uh, where they go from here, which is not a bad start, by the way. Those two guys, pretty good start. Yeah, and I don't know if they can beat the Rockets or not. I'm, I'm rooting for the Rockets, although in Phoenix we can't stand the Rockets either because it was always either the Spurs or the Rockets <laughs> right, that knocked out the Suns. Yeah. But I like Mike D'Antoni. I like yeah. Harden. I like the way they play. I love that style. So I'm rooting for them. I'm kind of tired of Popovich. Uh, but, I mean, my question to you is, are we just going to see Golden State and Cleveland again and they're going to be undefeated? Because I don't think they're going to lose until they get to the Western Conference and Eastern Conference Finals. Okay, I'm just going to skip to the LeBron James story that I wrote down earlier. I was trying to find a, I was trying to find a sports medicine angle to talk about LeBron James. I'm telling He's you right now. He's a sports he, medicine freak. He is a freak. Kyle Lowry, the Toronto Raptors. Here's my sports medicine angle to get talking about LeBron James. So Kylie, Ky, Kyle Lowry, you know, the Toronto Raptors all-star uh, point guard, he is going to be questionable for Game Three against the Cavs. Um, he had he twisted his ankle, and so he's he's questionable. But the Cavs are up 2-0 already. Did you see what he did to Serge Ibaka? I mean, really, Serge Ibaka. I went to a game against Dallas is playing Toronto, and I got to see in person Serge Ibaka just absolutely wear out uh, Nerlens Noel, and then uh, he <laughs> one time got got uh, posted up by uh, – or he had the ball, Serge Ibaka did, on, on Dirk Nowitzki, and he drove around him and slammed it on him. I mean, he's a good defender, and he's a good athlete. He's a great defender, yeah. And LeBron James is out there spinning the ball like he's playing on the playground with your kid brother, and he just steps up and posts up and hits a big shot on him. And then LeBron James steals the ball and flips the ball to his point guard ahead of him, who then points at the – LeBron points at the back backboard, and he banks it off the backboard, left-handed dunks it over the guy's – it's like he's playing on the playground with a Nerf hoop with his kid brother. It is crazy how good LeBron James is. It's crazy. But Serge Ibaka, for him to be that good of a defender and have LeBron just basically say, you can't take, you can't take me. You can't stop me. I'm going to score at will and win this game. I mean, it was, tough. It, it was hard to watch if you're a Serge Ibaka and a Toronto Raptor fan. But just from a pure basketball standpoint, it's fun to see somebody that good again. I haven't seen that since Jordan. Now I'm going to say something, and I'm an old guy. So I should be I should be like, hey, kid, get off my lawn. I should be you're not as good as the old guys. I've already dropped that I think Mike Trout's going to go down as the greatest player to ever play the game. Yeah. I think LeBron's already the greatest player to ever play the game. I, I think he passed everybody. I think just he's Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan combined, and that's a better player than Magic or Michael. I think Magic was the second best player and maybe arguably even better than Michael because just a, he could do so much at that right. size. Yeah. I mean, I, I think he's the greatest player. that I think we're watching the greatest player that's ever played the game. I love Dr. J growing up, and I always say that if you were my dad's age, you thought Bill Russell was the greatest player. If you were 10 years older than me, you thought uh, Wilt Chamberlain was the greatest player. If you were my age, you thought Dr. J was the greatest. If you were 10 years younger than me, you thought Michael Jordan was the greatest. And if you're my son's age, you think LeBron James is the greatest player. It's who you grew up watching, but just from a pure – combination of size, athleticism, 
ball handling skills, post-up skills, clutch skills, and winning championships, I think you got to put LeBron in there. Some people argue that because LeBron somehow lost some championships that he's not the greatest player ever. I think that's ridiculous. He got a team, the Cavaliers, when he first came up. He was it. There was nobody with him. Who was his next best player? Eric Snow or somebody? I, don't, I can't even remember who his next best yeah, player Eric was. Yeah, Eric Snow was his backcourt mate. <laughs> yeah. He was probably his next best player. Eric Snow was a really good defender, but that was about it. <laughs> yeah, and, and LeBron takes that team to the championship. So they lose yeah. it, but he took that team to the championship. Michael didn't take the Bulls to the championship right off the bat. It took a little while to get going. Of course, he had the Celtics and, and uh, Los Angeles to, to worry about as well. Yeah, but, the Pistons were tough. And, and the Pistons were tough at the time, but yeah, I don't hold that against LeBron at all. Everywhere he's gone, he's either taken him to the championship or got a championship. I just think he's that good. I would agree with you, Ferris. I think he's the greatest of all time. That said, it hurts me a little bit because I'm always loyal to the guys I grew up watching. I thought Dr. J was the most athletic player I ever saw. I can't even believe if I was a kid I would ever say anybody was ever better than Michael. I'm, I'm sorry, Dr. J. But then Michael Jordan came along, and I thought, well, maybe he is. And then LeBron comes along, and I think, well, maybe he's better than all of them. So, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, he passed Kareem on the playoff scoring list. Yeah. Um, I, I just – I always kind of try to look at that. It's hard to tell because you're right. Like, Jordan had to play against really good Pistons teams and really good Knicks teams and really good Celtics. So, I don't know if there's that good of teams that LeBron's playing against on a consistent basis. But I always think, okay – I, I'm starting a franchise, and I can pick one guy I'm picking LeBron. over the whole course of the existence of basketball. And and some guys, are, I mean, Bill Russell's on there. He's a winner. He's a big guy. Will Chamberlain's a big guy. I would still take – I would probably take LeBron one and Magic two. That, those would be the two guys I would take to start a team. The only way I would say that I might take somebody else, if I could take the size Will Chamberlain was when everybody else was playing against him, he was such a size differential – in other words, that's true. Yeah. It, it'd be like saying, would you take LeBron James now or would you take a guy that's seven foot eight with athleticism? I mean, that's what Wilt Chamberlain yeah. was during his point, era. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that that's the only caveat I would say that Wilt Chamberlain was just so much bigger of a physical force comparatively to everybody else in the league that that's why he was just so incredibly dominant. He was both athletic and the size he was at the time when there weren't that many guys. The thing that Magic and and LeBron can both do is they can play. They can legitimately right. play anywhere. all five positions. I mean, if you remember, Magic was it when his rookie year when they went to the playoffs and Kareem got hurt. He played center. He did, and, and he played, was really good. He was he good could at play it. His yeah. Back to the basket, he could be a point. He was almost like a point center. And LeBron's the only other guy I've seen that can really do that. I mean, Durant can handle the ball, but he's not really that versatile. Seth's not that. Steph's not that versatile. Michael's not that versatile to be that big, that athletic that you could be. The ball handler. I mean, Harden is a great shooter, and he's a great. He's playing a good point guard, but he's not, not post like up. those guys. Yeah, not going to post So up. I, yeah. I can't think of anybody else that's ever played that could do that other than those two. Yeah, yeah, just amazing the, his ability to be that big. That when he was out there against Serge Ibaka, he looked like a point guard getting ready, you know, to do a Steph Curry movie. He's spinning the ball around, and he, he's able to create the room. And then he's really made himself into a great shooter, which is rare for a guy that big too to have that fine of a touch yeah. from an outside shot which you give him a little bit of room he's going to nail it outside you try and you try and get up close to him he's taking it around you and he's going to dunk over you so he's just that good against you you feel like you did back in the Michael Jordan prime years he can take you at any given time and he's going to score a big bucket on you whether he's driving whether he's shooting outside whether he's hitting a, a mid-range he can take whoever it is and he definitely seems like he has grown into his I don't know what you say, legacy. 
He's comfortable in his skin. He seems like he's okay. I'm the greatest. I'm, I'm that good. I say uh, Josh Donaldson gave a good analogy the other day on YouTube. He said, when I step on a field, and in, in, in LeBron's case, onto a court, he's the alpha lion. When he steps on the, on the court, he feels like all the other lions go away. He's the best guy. He's going to be the best guy. He can do it. He seems like he's grown into that skin. That's what I guess I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think so. And I think he's starting to get a little bit of that kind of edge that Jordan had, which we saw in the Hall of Fame speech, which makes you think, God, that guy was a jerk. But (laughs) you have to have that edge on the court of like, you know, you keep saying I'm not as good as Steph or these guys. I'm going to show you. I'm going to play. He's starting to now play with more of a chip on his shoulder, and um, that makes him even even tougher to defend because he's like, okay, I'll prove it to you. I'll just win this thing. Yeah, Chauncey Billups said had LeBron tried to spin the ball in front of him, he would have put him on his butt. Really? Chauncey Billups, LeBron James? It's a physical mismatch to say the least. He would have tried to. Bill Lambeer <laughs> might have been able to, maybe, if he could have caught him, but LeBron's too fast for him to catch. So I don't know who puts him on his butt. I just That's just ridiculous talk. I mean, I know what he's saying. It's a different league now, but LeBron James yeah. is big enough. He could handle it. If you want to try and put him on his butt, Chauncey Billups, good luck. I'm not touching the dude. He's huge. Hey, we'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks. When we come back, we'll be talking to thoroughbred owner and uh, breeder Darren Phillip talking about the Kentucky Derby and what the athletes do to get ready there, both the jockeys and the horse. We'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks after the short commercial break. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, coming from inside Docs and Jocks radio studio. Hey, just catching our show for the very first time. Want to find out more about Docs and Jocks? You can do that by going to our iTunes podcast and just downloading Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Listen to it anytime, anywhere. And you can also follow us at DocsandJocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. There you can follow us on social media. Also, you can look up uh, all and learn all about Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University, my co-host. Find out all about his uh, previous bio, his previous life on Days of Our Lives. Used to be an actor out in Hollywood. Was very, very successful. Days of Our Lives. Let's see. Uh, Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> you should have been my Clark's, agent or publicist. Dick Clark's uh, Rocket New Year's <laughs> Eve. What am I leaving out, Ferris? What have I left out? Numerous commercials oh, throughout the Phoenix area. Oh, there's too many. Just go, go to my MDB page. You'll, it'll there take you, you days to get yes, through Yes, absolutely. So but he really was. Those are true. Those, he was really on all those shows back Something in his bad. acting days. So, Hey, uh, we are always honored to have on a very special guest, and we thought this this segment we would bring on a thoroughbred owner and breeder, Darren Phillip. He's a good friend of Ferris and I, and he is uh, big into uh, doing racehorses and, and breeding them and uh, getting them out ready for these big big races. This uh, weekend we got the Kentucky Derby coming up, so as we're doing this segment, me and Ferris are enjoying a little mint julep. Actually, very refreshing. The fact oh, that I even know that makes me sound more refined. I don't know why I feel like super refined and like, I don't know. But we have Darren on. Darren, thanks for being on Docs and Jocks. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. So, first of all, tell us a little bit about the Kentucky Derby. I know for for those of us who maybe only watch horse racing, you know, a few times throughout the year, there's the Belmont, there's a few of the races we have heard the names of. But the Kentucky Derby is always one I'll stop, and I'll watch that race if it's on. I always try and catch the you know the find the the, uh, the replay of it. Tell us about what is so special about the Kentucky Derby to someone like you who's in the business, who's raising thoroughbreds, and why it's so important for a Kentucky Derby. Uh, uh, horse to do well well it's a, of course it's the first jewel of the triple crown which gives it a lot of uh, uh makes it makes it real special and really it's uh, it's the one race that you talk to just about any horseman and that would be the dream to actually go to the kentucky derby um i think back in uh, 2014 there were 20,000 foals born and for the kentucky derby 
there's 20 in the starting gate. Oh, so that wow. tells you what your odds are yeah. of actually getting into uh, the Derby. Of course, it's only for the, the uh, Triple Crown races, including the Derby. The Preakness is the second, which is run in Maryland, and then the Belmont is run in New York. That's the third jewel. Um, they're only for three-year-olds. And so once, oh. basically one, a horse has one shot, at the Derby and the other Triple Crown races, and then after that, they're, they're too old to run uh, in these races. So that makes it even special, that real special, too. That is very limited to uh, basically yeah. you, you got one shot with one, with one particular horse, and that's it. I had no idea. Also, I saw that the race was like a mile and a quarter, which is uh, somewhat unusual for these horses to run that far. I didn't know about the distance, and, and tell us a little bit about that. Well, that's the furthest. This is the furthest that any of these horses are going to be running. Um, they've got a bunch of uh, Derby prep races that are along the way, and and how that works is each prep race has a certain amount of points designated to it. And if you obviously you want to win those races or finish at least in the top three to receive points, and then at the end of the Derby prep season, um, the top twenty horses, the, the the top twenty point getters, are the ones that um, are eligible for the uh, for the Derby. And so that that's pretty limited. Now, if 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 maybe two or three horses like like what happened this year, if the top twenty drop out, then you start going down to the twenty first, twenty second, twenty third ranked horses will have a chance to move in and get priority to uh, to be in the starting gate. So it's a very um, a very uh, elite group of runners that you have, and uh, of course they earn it along the way. And they're they're only three, so they're they're pretty much babies. It's it's a grind, and you're going to find a lot of uh, Kentucky Derby horses or horses that go through the entire Triple Crown, it's, it's rare that you'll see them go on to have really extended careers. And uh, one reason is that they do real well, they're worth a lot in the breeding shed. And so they're going to be retired and um, probably won't race much longer. And the amount of money that's involved with breeding, if you've got a stud that, that uh, has done any, any kind of anything significant, is just unbelievable. Right. Ferris? All right, Darren, I might be totally wrong on this, but you don't have to enter every race, right? Like, a horse could just run the Belmont, right? That's right, yeah. You don't have to be in every so, race, and that happens a lot, too. Some people I don't think that. that's really fair. You know, you got no. the Kentucky Derby winner. Let's say he wins the Preakness, and then there are a couple horses that maybe set out um, that uh, those first two races. Now, you do have to pay a, a fee to be eligible for the Triple Crown Series, and it goes up with the longer you wait. That, that that price tag goes up. I'm not sure what the interest fee is, but um, if you do it early enough, it's not too bad. But the longer you wait, if you haven't nominated your horse, the more expensive it's going to be. But, yeah, no, they, they don't have to run in all three races, no. So so do you think that's fair to most people? I mean, people outside the industry like me, I'm like, so this one won the first two, and then all these other fresh horses come in? That's not fair. But do people in the industry have a problem with it? I mean, obviously not. They haven't changed it. No, it's just part of it. I think it's become more more predominant over the years because it, it, the horses don't seem to be as as strong from a uh, confirmational or, or a pedigree standpoint, and so it's really it's rugged. It's a rugged road to have to run in all three races. And if you've got a horse that, let's say, you've got a horse that really specializes, or is someone that could go even longer, you might want to save for the Belmont because the, the Belmont's the longest of the uh, three races. It's it's a mile and a half. The, uh, the Preakness is a mile and mile and an eighth, and of course the the, uh, the um, Kentucky Derby is a mile and a quarter. So it's a uh, mile and three eighths. I'm sorry, I, I believe it is on the on the Preakness. So it's uh, that last that, that last one is is the true test, the uh, the Belmont race, where you've got uh, you, especially if you have a horse that's won the first two races. Now they have to go a mile and a half against uh, some fresh horses. So 
Yeah, it's it's kind of generally accepted in the industry. There's not a real whole lot of crying about it. I mean, you heard about it a few years ago when California Chrome lost in the Belmont, and and their owner who was half in the bag anyway <laughs> was all upset because he was just like, man, this they're a bunch of cheaters, you know, for them to just that come in awesome. this race. But it just well, you know, that's that's part of it. And uh, I'll tell you what, I would take that. I wouldn't care if, if uh, I lost the Belmont. If I was able to win the Derby and the Preakness, obviously I'd be disappointed to lose the Belmont, but. Uh, there's worse things in life. <laughs> hey, we're talking to Darren Phillip here on Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Darren's a thoroughbred owner and breeder. We're talking about uh, the Kentucky Derby coming up. And, you know, it was really caught our national attention just a few years ago. I think it was 2015, Darren, when American Pharaoh came out and uh, won the Triple ca- triple Crown. Explain to our listening audience what the Triple Crown w- winning horse, what that means and uh, why it is so special and so rare. Well, the uh, previous to American Pharaoh, there had not been a, a Triple Crown winner which means the horse has won the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness, and the Belmont. They've swept all three races that we just talked about. That hadn't happened since 1978 when Affirms did it. Now, there were three that did it during the 70s. There was Secretariat in 73, Seattle Slew in 77, and then Affirms in 78. So there had been a significant dry spell um, up until Farrow did it back in 2015, which obviously made it a big deal. Um, I'm not sure it was as great for the sport as people thought. Maybe for that year it was. But the, the fact that it, would ne- it was never done, now that it has been done, if, if another horse does it here in the next couple of years, it'd be like, oh, okay, well, it was done a few years ago, so it's no big deal. But that, that anticipation of year after year of a horse not being able to accomplish that, I think really made it that much more exciting, even when a horse made it to the Belmont after winning the first two races, right. to see if they could uh, complete the job. So. But, yeah, it's a, it's a very difficult race, or excuse me, uh, Triple Crown to win that because you've got the Kentucky Derby, then just two weeks later is the Preakness, yeah. and then they get an extra week thrown in uh, before they have to run the Belmont. So it's it's definitely a grind combined with all the prep races that are leading up to it. You know, we always talk about the horse, but really uh, the, the athlete in the mix, too, is the jockey. And, you know, I don't, once again, being an outsider looking in, you think, oh, you just got on a horse and you ride it, but it's really not that simple. These guys train year-round. They're trying to keep themselves in great shape. They have to maintain a certain weight. Talk about right. the preparation you uh, have for your jockeys and how you pick a jockey for your horses like the, are training at the Belmont, like the ones you have. Well, usually the um, uh, you, you kind of entrust your trainer to uh, to pick the jockey. Now, you can't have some input in that kind of thing as an owner, obviously, but uh, they're the ones that the trainers are the ones that know which jockeys might fit what horses better because not every jockey you put on a horse is gonna is it, they're gonna be a good match. You know, it's just it's just there's there's a chemistry issue there as well, and so you kind of leave that up to the trainer to decide. And if, if one jockey's not working out, you can always you can always switch to someone else. These guys are not under contract. It's basically a race by race situation. They the jockeys have agents as well that really hustle to try to get them mounts on different horses but these guys like you said have to be in tremendous shape um and they and they also have to keep their weight like you said as well because you you can't you don't want to have you don't want to have a fat guy in your horse uh, running the race you got to have someone who's, um, <laughs> who's 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 athletic and who's got experience and when it comes to races like the derby having a, a jockey with experience um just pays huge dividends because when you're trying to navigate your horse among 19 other horses you know depending on what your post position is as well, it, uh, it really makes it uh, important to have 
have a jockey that's got experience. Darren, here on Docs and Josh, we don't like to say uh, fat guys. We call them fluffy here on Docs and Josh. We're, okay, we're, okay. Kind, we're kinder and gentler My here. Fluffy, yeah. <laughs> Ferris, go ahead. <laughs> All right, Darren. Uh, they have me on Docs and Jocks for the hard-hitting questions. I've always wanted to ask this to a horse racing guy. You mentioned American Pharaoh won the Triple Crown 2015. Hadn't been done since 78 in baseball. The Triple Crown, Miguel Cabrera won it in 12. Hadn't been done since 67. Yastrzemski. Are there more performance-enhancing drugs in baseball or in horse racing? <laughs> oh, that's a true, good, great well, question. Well, there, there could be in, in horse racing. No one will ever admit it, just kind of like in baseball as well. So I think that's a, very, <laughs> that's a similarity between the two sports. But, uh, yeah, you, you know, you look around. It's, it's, as an owner, you, you kind of look at certain horses. They, they run for certain trainers. They don't do anything. And then all of a sudden they go to someone else, and all of a sudden they wake up and just like, hmm, What's really going on there? But uh, you know, there's there's the, the big problem with horse racing is that there are different um, medication standards from state to state, and so without there being one unified body saying wow. this is what they can get and how much they can get of it, that really leaves some major loopholes open for guys to um, you know cut corners or, or you know find those loopholes and go right through them. So I think that's a real real issue that that horse racing has never really had a one governing body that says, you know, kind of like baseball does with their commissioner's office or, or all the major sports that can really um, dictate and and, um, and handle and control that stuff, what's going on. And, Darren, I mean, does that show itself in, in this event? Because this is three different states, right? So really each race is governed in the Triple Crown. It's governed by a different governing body, in a sense. Is that yeah, it correct? is. I would say I would say probably with these three races, they they probably keep them pretty close to the same. I don't know specifically if uh, if there's oh, a okay. wide range. I mean, they're they're not real huge differences in the from state to state. But you know, you could be in one state thinking, oh, what I'm doing is okay, and then realize, no, what I'm doing is not okay. There was a situation uh, a few years ago. It was back in 2012 where I'll have another. Um, won the first two races. Um, <laughs> Doug O'Neill is the uh, trainer, and uh, Jay Paul Redham is the owner. In fact, they've got they've got a horse this year as well um, called IRAP, uh, the number nine horse in, in tomorrow's Derby. But anyway, um, back in California, uh, O'Neill would always put one of those nasal strips or nasal patches yeah, over his horse's nose. Yeah. And when they got to New York, it was not allowed. New York, New York uh, uh, forbid that to be going on, but. They made an exception because this horse is going for the Triple Crown, so they were going to allow him to do it. As it turned out, um, the horse got hurt and wasn't able to run anyway, but they were going to permit. So now, now in New York, you see you see nasal, nasal patches all over the place because now it's, now it's allowed. <laughs> hey, yeah. speak, speaking of patches, there's a one-eyed horse competing in the Kentucky Derby this year. Right. He's named Patch, and he's kind of the lovable underdog. I'm thinking about maybe putting a little money down on Patch. What do you think about that? That was a good segue there, Dan. Very yeah, nice. I know. Nice. Thank you. Um, you know, he's, he's trained time. by one of the top <laughs> trainers in the country, Todd Fletcher. Uh, Fletcher's got three in here. Um, he's got um, Always Dreaming, which is one of the favorites, another horse called Taprit, and then, of course, Patch is the one-head horse. Uh, the, the tough thing for Patch is that he's in the 20-hole, and there's only one, only been one previous horse to uh, win from the number 20 post position, and that was Big Brown back in 2008. But Patch is... Uh, It'll be interesting um, because he lost his left eye. He had some sort of uh, a mysterious eye disease, and this is when he was two years old. So he had already been, it was into his two-year-old season, he had already been training. And so the, the trainer's concern, Pletcher's concern was, well, how is he going to adjust to this? And so they, they sent him down, they sent him down to a training center, 
and uh, where the trainer's dad runs it, and he, he said this horse is having no problems adjusting to the whole thing. Now, it's his left eye that's gone. So I'm, my question is, how is he going to start yeah. in the 20 post position, which is all the <laughs> way on the right-hand side yeah. on the outside of the track, and he's got to get down to the rail before that first turn oh, you know, to yeah. save ground. What is that going to be like? How is that going to – and I'm sure the horse is – you know the horse has been great. He's he's very successful. Of course, he's one of the top horses in the country to be running in this race. But with a race like that, how is he going to be affected? I kind of like him too, um, but it'll be inter- interesting to see. And I'm sure he's going to be a favorite just just from from the from his backstory. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, yeah. Darren. About 45 seconds. Last hard hitting question uh, here for you. This is actually going to air in the Phoenix market after the race, probably. So we're going to be able to catch you and see if you if. You got this right or not? Who do you like? Uh, for first, I like Gunavera, number 10. And for second, uh, my second choice, Battle of Midway, number 11. Third choice is Patch, who we just talked about, number 20. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And then fourth, I like uh, Irish War Cry, number 17. So my picks are 10, 11, 20, 17. All right. Hey, we've been talking to Darren Phillip. He's got 10, his 11, picks out there. 17. We will find out whether or not his picks are uh, legitimate <laughs> or not. Hey, Darren, go have, go have some more mint juleps. Enjoy your <laughs> Kentucky Derby weekend. Man, great having you on. If you want to listen to more Darren Phillip and as well as uh, Michael Potter, Ferris here, my co-host, you can listen to them on Fantasy Baseball Rap. I heard in the Phoenix area every week. Don't want to miss Fantasy Baseball Rap. Darren, thank you so much for being on Docs and Jocks. Thanks, guys. It was a lot of fun. Appreciate it. All right. We'll be right back to your Sports Medicine Radio show after this short commercial break. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your Sports Medicine Radio show. If you're just catching our show for the very first time, we're a sports entertainment show that comes at it with a sports medicine niche. Great to have you with us if you're just catching it. Hey, you can always follow us on your iTunes app by going to Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, and there you can listen to us anytime, anywhere. Maybe you're taking your kids around, carting them around on a soccer weekend or a baseball weekend. Man, it's a great way to catch our show, a little two-hour show here. Maybe you catch a market that only listens, uh, that only plays an hour of our show. You can catch the entire two hours and all the interviews that go with it by going to Docs and Jocks on your iTunes app. You can also find out all about our show, and, our, and as well as myself and my co-host, Ferris Potter, you can do that by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. And great to have you with us. Uh, I want to say thank you to all our wonderful sponsors, including the Texas Sports Hall of Fame, as well as Texas Sport and Spine and Abilene Tech and Abilene Sports Medicine and Orthopedics. Could not do our show here without our wonderful sponsors. Hey, Ferris, I thought we could finish the show by talking, uh, bringing it home with some sports medicine uh, injuries in the news that have been making the news this week. The big one, in uh, this guy, man, I, we, he's pretty high on our list of the guys that we have talked about on Docs and Jocks over the years, Sidney Crosby, and he's one of the NHL's, you know, most famous players. He's really was one, of, kind of one of their the greatest, bright, yeah. brightest shining stars a few years ago when he was first coming out. And uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, uh, hockey player has now suffered a concussion again. Uh, they, they're playing the Capitals in the playoffs, and he takes a high stick by the Capitals defenseman who gets uh, kicked out of the game. Crosby now has a history of severe concussions that dates back to 2011. In 2011, he was out after a concussion for two years due to really pretty severe symptoms. He was having dizziness, dizziness, nausea, uh, just feeling like uh, his memory was out of of whack. He spent two years recovering from that, did all kinds of treatments. We documented that pretty well here on Docs and Jocks. He missed the first six games of this season due to uh, recurrent concussions, and now he's been out uh, uh, probably for sure for the playoff. I mean, for this round of the playoffs, possibly for all the playoffs. 
Uh, they used to call him Sid the Kid, the question Pharisees, 29 years old, multiple concussions, multiple severe symptoms from concussions that kept him out for extended periods of time. Is Sid the Kid the kid anymore, and is enough enough? I think enough's enough when you're talking about those head injuries, man. I mean, it's sad, but, you, dude, you got to, I mean, you're talking about having trouble right now, let alone in the future, you know? Yeah, I, mean, I know. You, I think you got to walk away. Yeah, you always worry about that chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is the condition where your brain has repeated insults. We've used this analogy a lot. Maybe you're new to Docs and Josh, you haven't heard it, so I'll repeat it. But we got this movie uh, from the movie Concussion, and uh, they're talking about their where your brain is inside of a jar, a glass jar, and there's water surrounding the peach. And if you shake the jar really, really hard, the peach bounces off the side of the glass jar and is bruised very easily. That's an analogy of what happens to your brain, which is inside a bony skull floating in a fluid called cerebrospinal fluid. And when it gets hit hard enough and jarred hard enough, it bruises and causes injury to the neurons that collectively make up the brain. And then you end up getting small pockets of areas where the brain doesn't work correctly. You then see those at time of autopsy. After the patient passes away, you'll see these areas where there's um, uh, loss of function. And so you start having these problems where you have memory loss, uh, you have changes in your affect, you know, you become very irritable, uh, you start uh, having an inability to do tasks, which would be relatively simple. For most people, you start having an inability to do those tasks. Maybe you're dizzy all the time. Those are, those are the symptoms of chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or tra- we usually just call it severe traumatic brain injury. But repeated mild traumatic brain injuries can have a long-term consequence that we now recognize more fully than we did back when uh, NFL players first started having these problems and NHL hockey players did. But we now recognize that Sidney Crosby, after these, this many severe concussions, I know he's a tough gamer and wants to come back. Nobody wants to end their career early because of concussions. I just don't think uh, he can continue going on. He seems. The other thing is concussions, Ferris, oftentimes get easier to have manifestations of symptoms with a smaller hit. So it doesn't take as big a blow to bruise the peach. You don't have to shake the jars hard uh, for the peach to be bruised as you do uh, the first time you have it. So, you know, you might see be seeing more and more injuries, Sidney Crosby. The same thing happened with Steve Young is a guy that is our era, Ferris, where he had injuries to his brain and finally had to had one from just kind of getting hit hard. He didn't even bang his head on the ground or anything, and then he was done. So it's sad to see your heroes go out that way. But, man, you also want to see guys like Steve Young and Emma Smith and Tony Dorsett live long lives. You know, you don't want to see them, you know, hampered by chronic traumatic encephalopathy or long-term sequela from multiple mild traumatic brain injuries. Yeah, it's a tough decision because you can never really tell what's going to happen. I mean, some guys have concussions, and it doesn't seem to affect them too much. So I just think you err on the side. The guy's a phenomenal player. He's been great. But I go back to we talked about Tony Parker. These guys hate going out. They do. Except when, even when it's on their own terms, they hate going out. Yeah, you know? you're right. So it's just tough to hang it up. It's tough to hang up the skates after doing it for so long at such a high level. Speaking of hanging it up, man, Steve Kerr, likes the coach for the Golden State Warriors, looks like he is probably going to be out for at least this round of the playoffs. He is now seeking a second opinion with Duke University. He's been at Stanford University trying to come up with an answer to the pain he's been having and difficulties he's been having ever since a back surgery. He had a, a complication of having a dural leak, which is the leak in the t- uh, around the spinal cord. There's a sac around the spinal cord called a dura, and you can sometimes have a leak in that dura, and it'll cause you to have severe headaches, uh, dizziness, nausea, and Steve Kerr has been dealing with these symptoms now for two years. He's now going to seek a second opinion at Duke University. He's probably been deemed out for this round of the playoffs with the Golden State Warriors. But, uh, man, 
I'm telling you, what a, what a tough way to lose. You know he's hurting bad. You know Steve Kerr wants nothing more than to be with his team in the playoffs. You, As a basketball coach, this is your time of the year, man. This is when it all comes together. You know it's got to be hard on yeah. you sitting on the bench and not being there. Or not sitting on the bench and not being there. Yeah, you wonder with him if it's something he decides not to do anymore, you know, or re- significantly reduce his travel. And we saw Phil Jackson, the great coach, kind of get out of it because of that. He had that that contraption, that massive big chair he sat at yeah. Lakers games, and he wouldn't even go on the road for some games. I know. But you, you might, might just say, hey, I don't want to do this anymore, man. Right. You know, I'll turn it over to somebody else. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Boston Celtic point guard, I don't know if you saw this, Ferris, Isaiah Thomas uh, got his tooth knocked out. He gets it knocked out on a Sunday in a playoff game against the Wizards, caught an elbow to the face. He uh, then is noted after the uh, losing his tooth, he's noted to be doing a post-game interview without his tooth. He then undergoes surgery on Monday to try and reattach the tooth. He then uh, gets released from the hospital after the swelling goes down on Tuesday. He's playing a Thursday's game. He doesn't show up for the beginning of the second half. Come to find out, he was getting his tooth, which had fallen out, his surgically reimplanted tooth had fallen out, and his team physician was trying to reimplant the tooth in the locker room. Man, what a what a catastrophe he's having with the injury to his face. So I called a good friend of mine, an orthodontist, Kevin Carlton, before the show, and he was telling me that a couple things are kind of different about this story. You have, he said, when you get a tooth knocked out, this is for all our listening audience, if you have a son that plays sports or daughter that plays soccer, and you get a tooth knocked out, he said there's about a 45, it's called a volst. That's a fancy word for getting your tooth knocked out. He said you have about a 45-minute window to get that tooth re-implanted for it to have a good chance of being viable and staying reattached. So he said when he was actually watching the game, he sees this happen. He then sees Isaiah Thomas after the game doing the press conference. He's like, what is he doing, man, if he's going to try and reattach the tooth? Then he heard that on the next day they try and reattach the tooth. He said by that point in time, it's so far past that 45-minute window that the chance of that tooth being viable and staying reattached is very, very low. So a note to self, when you get your tooth knocked out, don't do the post, post-game presser. Go ahead and skip that. Go get your tooth reattached right then, right on the spot, and you have a good chance of it being viable. But it doesn't look like Isaiah Thomas is going to be able to keep that tooth. Like, this guy came out of nowhere. Like, I don't follow I the NBA as, as much I as I use as, as a lot of people, but this guy now is all of a sudden, like, the greatest player in the game other than Steph and LeBron. And yeah. I'm like, where did he come from? And then why in the one time he got center stage and he's actually basically just carrying his team round by round, does this happen to him? I know. Like, he's probably been – this is probably <laughs> the first time in May in his entire life he's had this much injury to his face and his teeth, and it's happening yeah. now. It's crazy. It is crazy, yeah. And then we saw him knock him out for the second half. I'm like, what's going on? But just a little uh, sports medicine story there. When you get your tooth knocked out, don't do the post-game presser. Go ahead and get your tooth put in as fast as you can, get it. and then you'll go there. So Anyway, uh, Luke Terry's a 14-year-old from Lewisburg, Tennessee. He is a one-arm catcher, Ferris. And I just saw the uh, video. He was on Instagram, Facebook. He was making the social media rounds. This kid, he also hits third on his team. He only has one arm. He lost his arm when he was a toddler. He had to have it amputated due to severe infection by uh, E. coli. He ended up... uh, becoming a catcher, which is really, really unique. You oftentimes see outfielders, or if you see a player uh, being a, sometimes being a pitcher or an outfielder, there was a one-arm outfielder named Pete Gray for the St. Louis Browns. There was a one-arm uh, pitcher for the Angels, uh, uh, Jim Abbott. And now uh, we see this guy, Luke Terry. But it's unique that he's a catcher, so he'll catch the ball, flip the ball out of his glove, 
put his glove down, catch the ball in midair, and throw it. So he's actually got a pretty fast pop time for what you would think for one-arm catcher. But he said he's not going to let anything derail his dreams of being a great baseball player. He's going to play as long as he can for as for as uh, play as good as he can, and seems like he's doing pretty good. But man, our shouts go out to Luke Terry and keep it up, man. What an inspirational story. Yeah, super cool. And everybody, all the coaches, all the family members who didn't tell him, hey, you can't do that or whatever, you know, let him give it a shot, and he's he's making it happen. It was a cool video. I watched it initially. I think Hawk sent it to me, and I was like, why did he send me of a kid throwing a ball? And then the second time I watched, it, I'm like, is he got yeah. one arm? I was like, yeah. I, I totally was like, I had no idea. I'm like, why are you sending me this? And I saw, I was like, oh, that's why you're sending me this. Yeah, it takes a little it's while when incredible. you're watching. He does it so fluidly and so effortlessly that you don't realize that he's doing that all with one arm because he's the way he's flipping it and catching it. You just you just see you're used to catcher catching the ball and his hand comes out and then he throws it, but he's flipping it, catching it, throwing it all in the same motion. Really a cool way to watch, or a cool thing to watch Luke Terry, the one arm catcher. You can pull that up on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. But I'd recommend you go do that when you get home. Hey, a couple other stories I thought we'd talk about is Kristen Maloney, two time U.S. All around champion in gymnastics was part of the 2000 Women's Gymnastic Olympic uh, Championship. She is now 36 years of age, and she uh, just came out with her story. She was telling uh, a a sports news outlet that she had eight uh, surgeries due to her multiple gymnastic injuries. So Mm -hmm. I thought the real take-home part of this story was, one, these gymnasts are so young. They do such repetitive activities. They have so many injuries you don't hear about in the news. She had eight surgeries due to her gymnastics days. Uh, she was asked the question, would you do it again? And she has, she said, without hesitation, I have no regrets. So, you know, we oftentimes talk about these sports medicine injuries like, oh, these athletes, you know, are prone to these injuries, and would they do it again? And the answer is almost overwhelmingly yes. And uh, Kristen Maloney is one of them. She had a tibial stress fracture. That's a stress fracture in your lower leg. She had a shoulder surgery. She had a, a traumatic tibial fracture where she snapped her lower leg and had to have a rod placed. So, I mean, numerous severe injuries and surgeries, but she said, I have no regrets what I did in gymnastics. I loved it the entire time, and I would do it again. But that does seem to be the overwhelming consensus of when you ask these athletes, would you play football again? Would you go through this again? They almost all do a person say yes. Yeah, you know, I always I always think, okay, yeah, of course she would because she went to the Olympics. I wonder about the people who went through yeah. all those injuries and didn't make it. You know, yeah. they would go, oh, I wish I had a – taking up you know violin or something instead of doing this but probably not i mean most of them even though it it teaches such we talk about all the time with sports that dedication to be at that level even if you don't achieve that highest level it just teaches you something it teaches you how much time you have to commit it teaches you a dedication teaches you a team camaraderie you know it teaches you individual willpower so um you know even if you don't make it to the olympics which it's easy to say yeah i'd do it all over again I mean, you, you, it helps you be successful in life. But that's, those gymnasts, man, I can't watch the Olympics anymore, gymnastics, men or women, because I'm just waiting for the injury to happen. <laughs> I know, it's, it's so hard to gruesome. watch. I can't yeah. watch them. Yeah, it's always coming off the uh, vault. It seems like when they're doing flips off the vault and they land awkwardly and then the leg snaps, those are always the one that gets oh, me. So. It blows out. And yeah. either you or Hawk always text it to me, and I have no idea what it is. So I open it's it Hawk. and I see it, and I'm yeah. oh, stop doing that. <laughs> Hawk, our producer on the radio show, was the athletic trainer for the Dallas Cowboys as well as the Texas oh. Tech Red Raiders. So he loves – every trainer I've ever worked with loves sending me gruesome pictures. I mean, I've been in medical school. They and love been horrific surgery injuries, and, right? What's that? They're like sadists. They are. The athletic trainers like, they are. They love those, man. Hawk has a, wants to give us a – Give us his input. Are you want to say something right there? I mean, I just do it because Ferris told me not to. <laughs> Once again, there's an athletic trainer for you. Give you a hard time. I want to show you the gruesome pictures. So, hey, I do want to say thank you with our last couple minutes yeah. here on Docs and Jocks to Jill Lane. 
Jill Lane is our favorite sports nutritionist of all time. You can find out about Jill Lane by going to JillLane.com, L-A-N-E, JillLane.com. She came to a D1 Abilene here, Ferris. We've had her on air several times. She's incredible, incredible wealth of knowledge on how to eat correctly, how to fuel your body, how to fuel your young uh, athletes, and how to make them champions. I mean, she came and gave a, gave a, a great presentation, went through the basics of eating, what should you be looking to do? Why is an athlete a little bit different in how they eat? What should they be getting? The timing of it? How much? It was an incredible, incredibly awesome event. If you want to find out more about Fueling Champions and the program that she's involved in, you can go to fuelingchampions.com. You can also go to jilllane.com and from there get to it. But I would not miss another event. She said a few few amazing things all the way through. I kept writing down notes the entire time I was listening to her. But one of the things I thought she said that really kind of struck me, she said, sports nutrition is not about perfection. It's more about consistency. And I feel like it's that way a lot in life, you know, training, working out, eating right. It's about the consistency you do day to day. It's not about perfection. You're not always going to get it right, but you can try and be as consistent as possible. And if you do so every day, make yourself a little better, whether it's through working out, whether it's through improving your mental strength capacities, like through mental uh, strength uh uh, edge mental strength training here at D1 Abilene, whether it's by going to JillLane.com and working on your sports nutrition, whether it's working on visual edge, which is one of the things we do offer here at D1 Abilene, which helps you with your vision. It's about working on those things on a regular daily basis and always getting a little bit better. You don't try and be perfect. You just always try and be a little bit better. And I thought that was one of the things that she said that really struck me uh, when Jill Lane came and spoke to us. But from all of us here in Docs and Jocks, I want to say thank you to listening to your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan. You can find out more about myself as well as my, my co-host, Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University, by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. One of the things we really love to do on our show is try and help you, our listeners, get a little bit better, stay a little bit healthier, have a better quality of life, be able to stay doing the things with your kids you've always wanted to do through your 50s, 60s, 70s. Also trying to be the best athlete you can be. Every one of us is an athlete, whether we're 7 or whether we're 70. We can bring that out in you. And we love doing that here on our show, Docs and Jocks. For myself, Dr. Dan, as well as my co-host, Ferris Potter, have a great week. We'll see you next week on Docs and Jocks. <laughs>